So explain to us what libertarian is. I hear that all the time. Let me tell you what libertarian is. Libertarian is someone who says you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want to be. Just don't force others to be like you. Got it. That's what we are all about. We are all about long-term solutions, not short-term solutions. We're all about changing culture, not just changing law. Law, we have to remember something. At the end of almost every single law is a guy or a gal with a gun who will put you in a cage. And if you don't want to go in that cage, he or she is going to kill you. That means you only use law when it really matters, not just because I'm angry, not because I don't like you, not because you should do some activity I think you shouldn't do or whatever the case may be. It's only for important things like life and liberty and property and things like that. That's when you use violence. That's when you use force. That's what libertarians are all about. Welcome, welcome to Libertarians Drinking Coffee Live. I'm Larry Sharp. I am here, and the brand is strong. White cup today, though, but that's okay. Whatever it takes, doesn't matter. Trying to stay awake this afternoon, and I hope I can keep you excited. It is 3 p.m. Eastern, so if you care about our movement, if you care about Libertarians running all over the place, I know this is a presidential election, and I care about Joe Jorgensen, and I hope she wins, and I'm going to vote for her. And on top of that, there are hundreds of other libertarians also running throughout our country, also trying to make impact uh, at the local levels. So if you care about them, then like, comment, share, do that right now. Click the, that button, put in a comment, put in a like, share it someplace, let people know we're doing this. We have to grow our own media. That's the way we're going to hit home runs. That's the way we're going to be noticed. So please do that right now. I am very lucky this afternoon. I have with me someone who is running in California, someone who is running for assembly, the man himself, James Just. How are you, sir? I'm doing well today, Larry. How are you guys doing today? I hope everybody's doing well. I think they are. They're watching us, so it's got to be good. For more information on James, head over to just the number four assembly.com. That's just for assembly.com. You can get for info about him. And actually, so both. Just for information, just both for assemblies should actually get you there. If you just, if it's a letter for, or you write it out for, someone was thinking ahead when he did that. See, just is not playing games. He's serious, <laughs> right? Four or four, doesn't matter. We're in either way. I love it. Absolutely. So I got to ask you, James, there's a lot of ways you could have decided to make impact in your community. You chose this year to run and you chose assembly. Tell me why. Well, this is actually interesting, Larry. Um, I actually wasn't going to run. On January 1st, I was not going to run for office. Okay. And then I do a, I do a local uh, television show here, Libertarian Counterpoint. It's a public access show. And one night, I was we had just recorded with Kalish Merrill and Nicholas Wildstar. I was oh, my, sure. Yeah. I was on my way home, stopped at the grocery store, and somebody asked me, what are you going to do about AB5? Ah, look at that. And, and I had no answer for him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll think about it. <laughs> right, right, right. And then that weekend, I'm thinking about it. That was a Thursday. And that weekend, I get the letter from the party saying, hey, we want you to run. Well, it's not, right? Yeah. I went, <laughs> I went around. I went. I literally went looking. Is there anybody else to do this? I went to the Republican Party, went to a meeting, seeing if there was anybody there who was going to do it. Nobody else was running. Yeah. And so, I, all right. So I did, took the kind of the shortcut. We so so hold on. Does that make this a two-person race? Makes it a two-person race. Oh, I love hearing two-person race. You have no idea how much I love 
You've just made my day, James. That's what I want to hear. Two-person race. Yet again, we can make some real impact here. I love this. Yeah, it's a two-person race. Nobody else is running. We don't have resources here. So I, if if I was going to run, I couldn't run a primary that actually was going to cause me cause me issues. And so I went out and I looked. No one else was going to do it. Okay, so it's essentially a free trip in. We have to gather 40 signatures, you know, valid signatures, and we're in. So I actually got into the to the November election quite literally not spending a dime. Nice. I'm happy about that. But you do will need money. So for those who want to support him, head over to James for I'm sorry, just for assembly.com. Click that donate button. And as many ways you can donate, pick the one you like and throw some money his way because he's gonna need he's gonna need money for for signs, he's gonna need money for door hangers, gonna need uh money, you know, to get Facebook ads, all that stuff, you know, those handout cards, all those things. So go ahead. Do that to the best of your ability. I would appreciate that. You're going to help him out. Again, two-person race. Guys, how many of these are we seeing? I'm doing, I think you are like my 55th person. I think I'm going to be this year. And we are seeing so many people who are in two-person races that can actually make impact. I, I love that. You, you've made my day. Yeah, well, and it's distressing for me that it's a two-person race. We have a district with 485,000 people in it. So 160, wow. 160 thousand registered voters. And I'm the only one who's running me. Mm -hmm. I'm just yep. some guy who, who happens to be kind of a substitute co-host of a local public access TV show, quite literally. That's it. And but That's yet, good enough, clearly. Yeah, clearly. Nobody else. No one wanted a vanity run. So no one, I, I got, I'm glad. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of vanity runs. Not a fan yeah. at all. People always say, Larry, why aren't you running for something? Because I'm not out for vanity run. I'm out to make impact or I'd rather help somebody else make impact. And I'm trying to help you make impact. So for, for some people who don't know what AB5 is, it's incredibly important. Please explain a little bit about that if you don't mind. AB5 is, is essentially where they've changed the way gig workers or freelancers are able to work. Yep. We, can no, we can no longer work the way we want. We, mm -hmm. have to, we now have to become employees or jump through an unimaginable number of hoops in order to be able to work the way we want. It essentially destroyed my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I couldn't replace the money, but I couldn't replace the lifestyle. Yes, absolutely. And I see that again. It's in New York. We don't call it AB5. We call it something else like, you know, destroy the economy bill, whatever whatever we call it, yeah. something like that. And the problem that I think is really going to hurt us now, uh, James, you tell me if I'm wrong here. I feel like with COVID and the way it's beginning to devastate our economy, the way we're going to pull ourselves out of this is by people being allowed to use their own talents, their own you know, their own property to begin to grow their own businesses, meaning through other gig economy, contract work, hiring other gig economy people, hiring other contractors and sharing some of that knowledge that we can't afford. If you're a professional and you have amazing, you know, skill set and, and knowledge and background, I may have to pay depending on what city I'm in six figures or more to have you. But if I can do a gig economy, I can pay a couple hundred and get you a couple hours a week or something. I can get a piece of that knowledge that I need and all of us can share your knowledge and begin to grow. That's how I see it. I think this is going to have to change after COVID. If it doesn't, we're all going to be working for the government in two years. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's not just the, you know, the workers, the professional workers, it's the artists and, yes. and, you know, these community groups, the community um, theater groups have been devastated by AB5. And now with the COVID coming, you know, they can't even, practice what they were able to do before. A lot of them had downscale. They had, we're going to do like three big productions. Well, now we can only do one small production because that's all we can afford. Right. And now with COVID, they can't do any. And, yes. so, and so how are we going to re 
rebuild these communities, I'm not entirely sure. I with with AB5 in place, I'm not sure how these communities are going to be able to rebuild themselves. I just don't I, understand. I don't think they can. Them. I'm with you. I, I I I look. I'm in New York City. I get it. So many artists in New York City. I mean, New York City's filled with artists. People who are you know belly dancers and um and 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 performance artists and musicians and singers and opera singers and insert so many of them, right? Actors everywhere, mm -hmm. so many artists everywhere in the city. And many of them are just packing up and leaving because why spend the money and to, to live in a New York City, the expensive as it is, if now the opportunity is gone, right? When you get rid of the gig economy, when you get rid of contract work, when you get rid of the individual trying to do it, why live in a big city anymore? Yeah. And for me personally, I don't want to work for one company. I like work, be able to work for one company for three months, do their thing, and then go somewhere else when the when the economy changes. When mm -hmm. the, Right? Because one thing about being a gig worker, I did a lot of driving work, is you know I changed who I was working for every few months because the economy's changed or the way they're, they were doing business changed. So I said, I'll go work somewhere else. Right. And I've been able to piece my life together that way. But I you know, was able to take early afternoon shifts, work, do on political activities in the evening, and then do late night work collecting scooters or whatever to make some extra money. I love and, it. And But that allowed me to do the political work. And if I attract to go back and do regular job, I'm not going to be able to do the political work because I don't have that flexibility. And, and so, you're also not going to be good at the regular job because you don't want to be there. Yeah. Well, and I'll, with, given my history, I'll last about two and a half, three years. I have an anxiety disorder for people who you know don't know what that is. 15 years ago, I couldn't leave the house. It's actually kind of amazing that I'm running for office now. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. 15 years. I literally couldn't leave the house. Going down to the grocery store to get my kids food was about the biggest event I could actually manage. And so here I am now on TV <laughs> running for office, doing all this kind of thing. It's a strange life. I talked to my mother. I don't know what the turns my life takes sometimes. It's just I love this. Look, the average person nowadays is going to have at least five careers, not yeah. five jobs, five careers. That's how things work in today's economy. And our government hasn't figured that out. And it's still trying to control it like it's 1949. It still thinks that's the way. Control the economy and, and run it because we're the big monopoly after World War II, so let's just run everything. And they haven't figured out that hasn't been true in 70 years. And they yeah. still are acting that way. It's, it's terrible. Plus, you're right, we should be free to be you know who we want to be. I, I love that. Be flexible, right, to, to get around. I love it. So obviously, that's one of your big issues. Do you have yeah. other issues that are big for you? Well, well, oddly enough, for um, for me, what I found is transparency was one of my big issues. Sure. But, but I actually didn't think it was going to float very well. But that's Why actually, not? well, because I live in a government town. Ah, got it. I, I, I'm in the capital. Everybody here works for the government or has somebody who works for the government. But my best videos are actually when I talk about transparency. Got it. My mm -hmm. biggest, my biggest uh, video is when I talk about radical transparency, oddly enough. Tell me about radical transparency. Well, radical transparency is just the idea that you are as open and honest with your discussions as humanly possible. You know, you can't okay. have, there are brainstorming sessions, essentially, you can't have because stupid things get said and you can't have people held accountable for that kind of thing. But other than that, everything that the government does should be as transparent as possible. And mm -hmm. here in California, we have this thing called the Brown Act, but instead of that's supposed to ensure transparency. But instead of you know having a mass, um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Compliance with the Brown Act. What they do is they try everything they can do to circumvent it. 
we don't have enough people, we don't have enough time, we don't have the resources, all those excuses. Yeah, or it's, it's magically, it's personnel issues or whatever, yeah, whatever excuse they want, oh, we can't find it, you know, <laughs> whatever excuse they want to use is they will use to cover it up. And it's, instead of just being say, well, openness is the default, they, mm -hmm. default, they default to the to the to privacy. And well, as- Oh, I like that. So you're actually saying, you're actually saying that transparency should be the default and it's not. Yes. That is insanely simple and makes a lot of sense. No wonder people like it. That makes sense. Transparency should be the default. Yeah. You default to transparency and you dang well better have a good excuse if you're not. And right. And you go up there and you tell them, here, look, this is exactly why. Like one of the reasons things I can't talk about is because I have to tell somebody else's story. So I can't tell. There are some of my personal stories I can't tell because it involves somebody else's story. And I haven't figured out a way to tell it without telling their story. So I have to shut up. Right. Because ethics. Sure. Right. But now, anything it's said you have to say that in government, you know, ethics. Right? That, that, <laughs> yeah. That's a thing now. <laughs> yes. Ethics is. Well, that's actually the problem is we don't have anybody who has ethics and the willingness to stand up in front of the people and explain their ethics and say, look, this is why I did what I have done. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me, that's fine. But this is why I've done what I've done. And they're just they're afraid. They're so afraid of losing their jobs that they don't actually do their job. Right. Right. All right, so that's great. You got AB5, I love that. Radical transparency, I'm still gonna steal that from you. Um, and pr probably give you no credit whatsoever, but it's fine, you know. That's fine, I, 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 as long as you follow radical transparency, that's the only credit I need. There we go, absolutely <laughs> great. Do you have another one? Is there, is there other issues that are like top of your uh, your level? Well, we talk concepts because we figure as one libertarian in an office full of, in a legislature full of Democrats, you're not going to actually get a lot done except for mm -hmm. kind of pushing the conversation. So one of the things we're talking about is the family safety net and organic communities. And they're kind of tied together. Hold on. Family safety net. Yes. And organic communities. Yes. Well, okay. for, well for libertarians, the organic community one's easy. It's just localism described from the ground up instead of, ah. instead of looking down. It's just okay. localism from the ground up. If you stood on the ground of a ghetto and tried to explain localism, right? Now, in my town, we're big on things like farm to fork and all this kind of stuff. So steal their language, right? You, you call yep. it organic communities. It's just localism, but we call it, we're branded organic communities. So they'll listen. I love it. <laughs> That's I'm the, stealing all kind of stuff from you. I love it. <laughs> so it really is. So every, every libertarian knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's just localism where we, we're trying to get the ownership of the community back to the community. Right. That neighborhood should essentially own most of its neighborhood. The, the owners shouldn't yeah. be investors from off, especially in the minority communities because yes. they get rebuilt. I see it all the time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Common yeah. problem in most cities. Yeah. What happens is you come, they want to re, you know, redevelop a, t a city. You get the city planners come up with a plan. Then they get some investor from out of town to come in and invest the money in it. And then the, the people, the residents, get pushed out and they complain about gentrification, which is huge in my neighborhood. Yeah. And so, got it. and so that's kind of the organic community is we want to flip the, flip the script on that. And one of the ways we think about funding it is that the government has now spent a lot of, they're buying junk bonds on mm -hmm. wall street, right? Well, why don't we just buy junk bonds for the people in the ghetto and let them build their businesses? Hmm. Right. So when the, and if they, those businesses, tell me are, how that works. Walk me through that one. Well, Junk bonds are essentially just government now are just government investing in companies that aren't really stable, right? That's right. the whole point of a junk bond. Well, yep. you can take that exact same money and invest it in startup businesses in the ghetto 
And if they're successful, they can pay back the junk bond, but the ownership stays in the ghetto or it stays in the neighborhood. But ah. if they but if they fail, then it's just the same way as regular old junk bond fails. It fails, it gets written off as a as a as the debt and just moves on. Does does that are you are you saying that since we're going to to throw the money in the junk bonds anyway, put them in our community instead? Yeah. And if they work, it still works and the people are paying taxes. So it's kind of their money going back into the neighborhood anyway, aren't they? Isn't it? Yeah. That's that's the whole that's the whole point of that is to get that money. We're gonna throw the money down the toilet anyway. So if if we say even if only 10% of the businesses in, in these tough tough neighborhoods survive, that's 10% more than we've had now. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's more than we've got now. And that actually starts to build a base that, that the whole rest of the neighborhood can start to build off from. And even and, and it also makes the idea that we shouldn't be taking the taxpayer money and putting it outside the state in general. Yeah. We shouldn't be giving it to these big corporations. If you're right. going to instead of Wall Street, I call it giving it to Martin Luther King Boulevard. Oh, I like that. Giving it to Martin Luther King. You are knocking it out of the park today, James. I like this. It's good. So, yeah, I like that. All right. That's, that's good stuff. OK. You also brought up the idea of something with family. What was that thing? It's, it's their family safety nets. And this one is actually family quite- Family safety nets. This is quite personal because it's what saved my family's life. Okay. It wasn't that long. 20 years ago, I was almost homeless on the streets of San Diego with my family. Wow. And if it wasn't for the house my grandpa built, I wouldn't have had a place to go. And so I get to live in the house my grandpa built. And so because of that, I was able to rebuild myself, rebuild the family, you know, that 15 years ago, I wasn't able to leave this house. And now I'm able to, to come and run for office and try to improve the community. And that is only possible because my grandfather built this house as a homestead. And what we have now is people no longer buy houses as a homestead. The American dream used to be you bought a house so you could pass it on to your grandchildren, yes. your great grandchildren and for your family. So when somebody in the future had an issue, they had some place to go. And now we don't do that. We buy houses to sell it so you can move to Florida and retire. Yep. And so so for me, like how much my house is theoretically worth is not relevant. The money, the dollar value is not relevant to my house. It's. If, whether it's worth $100,000 or $500,000 is pays no mind to me. It's real value is that it gives me some place for my grandson to grow up. Ah, interesting. I, I like that idea. I did. So Roman wants to ask, would you consider running against Gavin Newsom? Oh, no, you guys don't want me governor. <laughs> well, there we go. He's asked your question, Roman. <laughs> no, well, I'm I, not I, sure if you look at what Newsom's doing. I, you, you know, it's you just got to be better than him. Well, I know I don't that's think not it's hard. that hard to do. I'm just my, saying. My talents are actually better in an assembly. I have, okay. I am very open. I'm very able to communicate. So my strengths, I have strengths. I've listened very well. I I'm empathize with people. You know, I can put various bits of information together and come up with a third way of looking at things. But what I don't do, that same personality traits that create the openness and the honesty and all that make me an implementation disaster. And so, <laughs> and so no, I love what you're saying. I, you know, I got to tell you, I wish more people would get that. People ask me all the time, Larry, why don't you run for Senate? Why don't you run for assembly? Why don't you for Congress? Because I'm an executive. Yeah. That's my personality. I'm an executive. That's what I am. I wouldn't be good in an assembly. I wouldn't be good in a Senate. I wouldn't be good in Congress. So I don't run for that. This is not a vanity run for me. This is an effectiveness run for me. If I become the executive, I'm an executive. I've, I've been an executive in a public company before. I'm an entrepreneur. I've run my own business for almost 16 years now. 
So that's what I do. I was a Marine Corps Sergeant, right? I'm an executive. It's what I do. And that's what I'm good at. That's my skill set. So I'm totally with you. I like, you know, where your skill set is that, that that's so important. You, you, I'm loving what you're saying, brother. I'm loving it. I'm yeah, loving well, it. My whole point was, if you're going to do this, you have to be prepared to accidentally win, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, my theoretically, my opponent gets 70% of the vote on a regular basis. So, mm -hmm. you know, the chances of me winning are slim. Of course, it's 2020. Nothing is off the table. That's correct. Now. You never know. <laughs> right. I said I needed a three miracle method to, 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 uh, to victory. And two of them have happened. I would actually argue. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. See, we're just waiting for one more. We and just guys, if you're hearing this, head over to justforassembly.com. Click that donate button if you want to help him out and get him to move forward. Talking about these excellent ideas that we're talking about. It is amazing. Absolutely. So Dylan says, um, he says, it's horrible that you don't hear great ideas like this in politics unless you're talking to libertarians. Larry, why is it everyone you talk to is brilliant? Because I keep talking to libertarians, Dylan. That's the reason why. The name of this show is literally Libertarians Drinking Coffee Live. That's the name of it. So it's all about libertarian ideas. And here's the most important piece. Even he's drinking too, see? The most important thing here, guys, I want to be clear on this. When you're a third party like James, like myself, like anyone running is, you can't just have rhetoric. Rhetoric is not good enough when, it's, when you're a third party, right? When you're a third party, they automatically dismiss you. So you've got to have some good ideas for people to grab onto. And it's unfair because the left and right can just have rhetoric and they'll be fine. We don't have that luxury. It's not fair and it's still true. So I'm loving what you're saying, James. Please keep going. Da Daniel, she's on your side. She says, and if the people in the ghettos had their own businesses in pride, they might not be ghettos anymore. Well, yeah, the, that actually is true. The part one of the reason ghettos stay ghettos is because they're of hopelessness. They don't yes. have any. They don't have any hope that they can actually build their neighborhoods back up by themselves, and so they go off looking for help from the government or from outside interests. And those outside interests have their own agendas, and they have, and they wind up having no. You know, I saw this very often. This is very interesting. I used to sell cars years ago. I used to sell uh, cars, and when I would, when people would come in to, to buy the car, right? I would talk about the price, and I'd do the whole spiel, you know, to sell a car. I was actually a very good car salesman. However, I dumped it after like two weeks because the the industry is a very corrupt industry. But besides that point, um, people will come in, and it's funny if your socioeconomic status was higher, right? You 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 were educated, you had come from middle class or above. That's where you had come from. You would ask important questions, things like what's the uh, what's the percentage, uh, how much does the car cost, things like that. But if you came from, say, middle class and below, what's where you came from, it was very common that people only cared about one thing. What was the monthly note? Literally, I, I, I tell them, well, you could, if you want it cheaper, you could lease it. And they go, oh, lease it? Let's lease it. They didn't care what tax ramifications mattered for leasing or not. They didn't care if leasing meant I owned it or not. It wasn't even an ownership mentality. In fact, they wouldn't even ask how much the car costs, not realizing the lease price is based upon how the sales price of the car. They wouldn't even ask that question. They would simply say, how do I get to the lowest monthly note? And I would explain how. Done. And it was it was all about the socioeconomic status. Where did you come from? Right? What did you think? And people who come from poor neighborhoods, very often, because of what you talk about, the hopelessness, James, mm -hmm. they're not thinking about the future. They're not thinking about ownership. That's not in their mindset. Their mindset is, how do I survive month to month? Yeah, how do and I pay the it. bills next month? How do I pay the bills next month? And then how do I pay the bills the month after that? 
And if you can think farther than that in the ghetto, you're doing good, right? If you can get past the second month, you're doing great. Yes. For most, for most of us in, down here in the poor neighborhoods, we're not, we don't have the opportunity to look six months ahead. We don't yep. know what six months ahead is going to, going to look like. Yes. Yeah. And whether that's a, a ghetto or trailer park or barrio, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and any place where people are not doing well, you know, economically, I think you find a similar mindset, right? Yeah. Is, is, is barrio the wrong phrase to use now? I don't know which phrase. I don't know either. I don't. I, know. Live, I live at the edge of the ghetto, so I just I get to use ghetto because that's where I, I grew live. up in the ghetto. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I understand completely. So yes, but yeah, but my my point being, I think you have a, a very valid point there. We have to have that ownership mindset, and often I, I don't see it. Right? I, I don't. I didn't see people care about that at all. And also, I was also I used to sell beds mm -hmm. uh, in home. Right. Big craftmatic adjustable beds back in the day. This is back when the, it, it was a, a thing that we used to do. And I remember being upset when I would get a lead that was in a poor neighborhood because the beds cost anywhere from two to six thousand dollars. Remember what kind of bed you get, whatever. And my vice president would say, why are you upset? And I would say, well, because it's a poor neighborhood. And he said, doesn't matter. He goes, rich people will buy or won't. Poor people will buy or won't. I would say, well, they're poor. Why would they buy a, a four thousand dollar, three thousand dollar bed? And he said, depends on where they come from. He was very nonchalant. He was mechanical about it. He wasn't mad or happy. He was mechanical. He simply said, you go to rich neighborhoods, and if the person wants to show off or do something special, then they'll buy the impressive bed to impress themselves or feel good about themselves. They'll do. If you go to a poor neighborhood, sometimes they'll still buy it if they don't have it because they don't think they're ever going to buy a house. They're never going to own anything. So they'd rather treat themselves to some cool gadget, whether they better or not. That's what they want to do. He goes, people buy what they want. Let them buy what they want. This was mind blowing to me, right? And so I go in there and I would have times when literally somebody would go into a bathroom, come out with $4,000 cash from the bathroom and buy a bed. And it would blow my mind. I'd like, wow, my, my vice president was correct. It all depended upon the person's personality and what they wanted and what they thought was valuable. But these are people who would put cash in their home because they don't think about investing it. They don't think about it. They don't trust banks. Yeah. It's not even their love. And they, they get they get their money for cash. They cash their checks, the check cashing joint. And saving is literally them putting it, you know, in a baggie in the toilet. That's savings. Yeah. Yeah. There's far too many people in the neighborhood who do that, who they need money. They go dig under their entertainment center or under their, under their bed or in all over the house where they've stashed all their money. And you're going, where the heck did they come up with all this money? Is what I'm <laughs> yes. yes. And it so blew my mind. And so, you know, some of this stuff is, you know, a lot of them work under the table. Sure. Because, you know, because, you know they, they can't afford to pay the taxes, 20% right. taxes. Even poor people pay taxes on their, on their income. It's not like we don't. And, and so, yes. and so they, just like everybody else, they avoid their taxes. And, yes. you know, or especially if they're working bartenders or waitresses or any of these tip industries and they take that and they stuff it under their, under their furniture until they need some cash for the car payment for a car repair. So, so let's go, since we're in that world, let's go to that world. You know, a lot of things have affected us this year. Obviously COVID was one of them. And the other thing that was, was George Floyd's murder. Right after George Floyd was murdered, I mean, you just saw the country kind of explode. Right, it was almost like uh, you know we were prepared and sitting in our homes because of COVID for so long, and now here comes you know George Floyd's murder, and boom, we are out in the streets and things are changing. And you know, how's it affecting you? And what's your view on this? 
Well, here in Sacramento, we've had a, the Black Lives Matter movement has actually been kind of, it's been here for a while. Um, we have this young man named uh, Stephen Clark who was killed by the Sacramento police when he had a cell phone in his hand. And his brother has become a, a leader in the movement, even though whether he's a leader of the Black Lives Matter group and the Black Lives Matter, the movement, as you've talked here, Larry, before, there's a difference between the Black yeah. Lives Matter, the organizations, and then Black Lives Matter, the kind of, not as you said, sorry, the movement, the, the theory, the, yes. over, the overriding, the kind of the concept that the police have become massively abusive, or we've now noticed that the police are massively abusive. Let's actually not the police have become massively abusive. We now notice that the police mm -hmm. are massively abusive and that something has to be done. Right. And exactly what that thing is, we're still arguing over, even though, quite frankly, I don't think there's really much interest in a solution here in the Capitol. We have solutions. There's a there's a bill working their way through that I'm trying to remember, 1066, 1086, something like that in your assembly. It's working its way through. And what they want to do is they want to take the prosecutions and investigations out of the hands of the local uh, district attorneys and put it into the hand of the state attorney general. But the Better. state... Well, yeah, but the state attorney but general, has, yeah, because the state attorney general just turned down the opportunity to review two cases. Absolutely. Yes. And so, and so if you're going to take a reluctant attorney, attorney general cases, he already doesn't want to look at. Um, this doesn't go far enough. We need to get right. it out, out of the hands of the government at all and put it into. I said the ACLU is just kind of a, a placeholder a place, but some other group. Some external group that will can investigate these things. No, right? but I like that you, you. At least if you use the ACLU, hopefully at least they'll step in, right? I hope maybe you'll trigger them to act. That would be great, and at least people will hear you, right? I like that if you're using it because even if it's a, a wrong placeholder, so what? Let's get let's get them talking about it. I'm I'm okay with that, right? Let, let's get them talking about it, and we'll find the right organization to make that happen. I, and I, the organization, I, yeah. And it may need to be created, right? It may not it may, actually, it may not actually exist. So you may need to get the ACLU and a couple other organizations to come together and create the proper organization. You know, you may need insurance groups and you may need um, defense attorneys and who are a lot, a lot of defense attorneys are ex-prosecutors. So it's not like we don't have the talent to prosecute these things out there. Right. So the talent does exist and we just need to actually find the way to do it. And we don't like doing it because the unions pay a lot of money to our politicians. Yes, they do. So, so let me ask you, do you have a cool slogan like a build that wall or a Medicaid for all or something like that? Do you have one of those cool slogans? Well, the closest thing we have to a cool slogan is people, uh, is people over politics. People over politics. I like that. Yeah. Is, it, is it taking? Are people like grabbing it or no? Well, it's, it's held up, but people, we don't really use it very well. I, we don't have much of a social media team. We have a small team. Oddly enough, Sacramento is not an activist area. It's what? It's not an activist area. We I have, am surprised. We have, yeah, are you guys, like two hours from San Francisco, an hour and a half? Yeah, something like that. But yeah. we're not, yeah. And you'd think of the capital would be an activist area, but we're not. We're issue activists. We're not ah, generic okay. activists. Everybody has their issues, but they're not kind of the generic political activists. And so it's Got very it. getting, you know, people to volunteer. Like we... Like we've got a like a volunteer treasurer. We've got I've got a campaign manager. So we've got kind of the basics, but people to help me with social media campaigning. If anybody out there can help with social media running social medias. All please, right. Look, guys, I say me. this all the time. <clears throat> if you've got cash, that's awesome. Love it. If you don't have cash, maybe you got some time. Guys like James could use uh, social media warriors, not social justice warriors. Social media warriors. We could use some social media warriors. 
heading over to justforassembly.com or head to his Facebook page. Same thing, heading over to his Facebook page and say you want in, help him create content, help him share, help him get memes, get the meme wars, right? The meme wars matter today. We need those. Help him share this, right? Take up clips of him saying those cool things he talked about. Remember that uh, radical transparency piece? Clip that piece up and put it out there. We can do that, guys. Help him out. Go there. Give him some time. Even if you give him an hour a week, it works. If you live in a Sacramento area, why in the world aren't you doing this? If you live in California, why in the world aren't you helping out in some way, shape, or form? It's important you should, absolutely. With that in mind, James, how can we make impact when we've got people afraid of COVID, people afraid of, oh my God, Trump's gonna kill us all, Biden's gonna kill us all, right? How do we get, you know, Chinese are gonna kill us, COVID's gonna kill us, everybody's gonna kill us. How do we get around that fear with all this stuff and still make impact? By doing the exact opposite. I have been actually trying to run the most positive campaign I could actually manage. I have not attacked my opponent. Actually, I've, He's actually a relatively honorable guy, as politicians go. And so, you know, wow. we, have, we, have, we have political differences. We don't have personal human differences, right? And we can, we can acknowledge these things, right? Now, there are a few politicians who I have personal issues with. But I don't happen to be running against one of those. I have political difference. Okay. <laughs> right? So okay. It's, it's easy. I don't have to attack them. I can just we can just talk about our differences with AB5. We can talk about our differences with early education. We can talk about our is policy issues differences without having to get personal. And I think removing the toxic, the I can't say this word, toxicity from politics <laughs> is what's important, is what I'm really trying to do. In a sense, I'm trying to counter that toxic nature with love. And, and compassion. And that's oh my God. I'm going to, wait a minute. Can I say that one again? You got some good stuff coming out here, James. Hold on. Don't let me say it right. I'm going to counter the toxicity with compassion and love. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. Gonna, I'm going to counter toxicity with compassion and love. Come on. How can you? That's your slogan. <laughs> Forget that people over politics thing. Do the, do the, counter toxicity with compassion and love that's a good one. Oh my god i like that one yeah because we we've whole ran on the whole nation that well, the whole notion is that our talk the toxic politics has become so toxic that average people don't even want to bother participating anymore yes right they don't want to run qualified people don't want to run because it's too toxic or because campaign finance laws are too confusing that's that's yeah. kind of the two issues that people tell me why they don't run it's either campaign yes. finance laws i don't want to bother with them or I don't want to get caught in the toxic nature. I love it. So, so do you have any natural niches that you think, you know, some people who the second they talk and hear you speak, they'll be like, just, that's my guy. That's my guy. Do you have a couple of people like that? A couple of groups like that? Maybe you think might be a niche. Well, the AB5 is my natural niche because I am a victim of AB5. So that there is, we go. The, that is my natural niche. And then I found that transparency niche. It's, I didn't understand. I didn't know it was there. You throw enough things against the wall, something sticks and you kind of run with it when you find it. So a lot of artists are going to be a big deal for you, right? A lot of yeah. artists. Yeah. It, uh, mm -hmm. You find in the artists, you're finding the, the freelancers, the free thinkers, the, and there's a, there's a lot of those. We're a weird place in Sacramento because, you know, so many people are involved with the government in some way. They have a family member who works for the government. They work for the government. And so it's a, it's a strange, I have to be very careful about how I deal with issues. Right. But, but you know, I always talk with, with empathy and sympathy anyway. So it's not actually that hard. I like that. 
So, so let me go to the next piece if I could, right? I obviously, I hope you win. I think it'd be amazing if you win. I want you to win. And I know people watching want you to win. What if you don't? Do you have kind of a, a consolation prize? You've decided what is, how do I, how do you know you've won anyway, even if you don't actually get the seat? What I'm, what we're trying to do is we're trying to educate ourselves enough in the process so we can teach people in the far, in the future. So they don't have to have the same steep learning curve we have. Mm. So next year, or two years, or someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm interested in running for office, I can actually tell them how. I can, wow. actually, I can actually give them help. I can say, hey, look, we've got a number of Trello boards. Like we use Trello. We set up a number of Trello boards to organize our campaign, to organize our media outreach. So we've actually started to build something that we can create a template, essentially, to, to share to, and to help other people go from that zero you know, starting line to one is the hardest thing to do. Yes. So we want, and so we want to get people, we want to help people go get to one. Got it. I love that. So more people running next year is your measure of victory this year, whether you win or not. Did I get that right? Yeah. Essentially. I, I it's amazing. Want, and it's not just, maybe not just people running. We want to get more people with a higher knowledge set so we can actually make uh, people who run in the future more effective. This is, oh my God, you're, you're speaking my language. It's exactly what I've been trying to do. Build out more. What, what the party lacks more than anything else is, is talent. And when I mean talent, I don't just mean, you know, some cool, uh, cool talking politician. We need those two, but we need people who know how to manage a campaign, who know campaign finance, who know how to do marketing, who know how to organize events, who know how to do PR. We need all of those things. I completely agree with you. And if we could get more talent, we do have talent, but not enough for all the people who we want to run. Not enough for all the things we want to do. We don't have enough of it. We need, we need. I need to take you know all the people we have and multiply them by ten, right? And then we have that that skill set. Well, and we don't even really organize the people we have well, right? There, if if we want to, we had a discussion about this yesterday. How many? There's three different types. You had a discussion yesterday about there's three different types of people in the Libertarian yeah. Party politicians, um, donors, and activists. And I say there's volunteers because activists and volunteers are different animals. That's a, the that's a thing I learned last year when I spent uh, 13 days straight at the California State Fair working a booth. Mm, okay. Is that activists and, and volunteers are vastly different creatures. Volunteers want to show up, do their three hours, and go home. Ah, I got you. Okay, that's a very valid point. I like that. And while activists want to be able to do their own thing, they want to build things, they want to have their own, right? they've got their own issues, they've got their own motivations, volunteers just want to come in and help and then go home. They don't want to be responsible for things. Right. And no, so, no, that's a valid point. And so we don't treat our volunteers very well. As I was arguing, you know, of the, at the fair last year, is like, we want, didn't want, we wanted them to ask for reimbursement for parking. No, volunteers aren't going to volunteer if they have to ask for reimbursement for parking. You got to pay for it up front. You know, and there's a whole bunch of issues that we had to go through that I had to argue with about because they didn't understand the volunteer mindset. They understand the the activist mindset. I actually don't consider myself an activist. I consider myself a high level volunteer. I consider myself a politician. Well, now technically, I do. I'm, a, yeah, technically I'm a politician at the moment, but I would actually prefer to be a high level volunteer. No, I, no, I swap hats. I think you do also. Right. We all swap hats. Right. But at my core. I think I'm a politician at my core, but I, I'm activist. I'm a volunteer. I'm all of those things, right? I do. I'm a donor. I'm all of those things, right? I do all of those things. I mix and match. I do them all. 
but I, and I think most of us in the party do a bunch of those things. But I think at my core, I think I'm actually a politician at my core. And maybe at your core, you're a volunteer. Yeah, I think maybe at my core, I'm probably a high-level volunteer. I would actually, if I put out to put myself in the thing, you put yourself as one of those volunteers who show up all the time and do right. things. But I would prefer to have, to, you know, to just kind of show up when I need to. And I was, yep. <laughs> this last year has been interesting. I was elected as vice chair last, mm -hmm. what, a year, 14 months ago, I think now. And my term as vice chair quite literally started with a fire alarm. Wow. <laughs> we're in the building. Okay. <laughs> we, we're in the building. We're, we're, we're in the building. We finished, just finished voting in the new board and the fire alarm goes off and we've got to end the meeting. We didn't get to do any of the normal things that you get to do kind of at the end of the meeting to set this stuff up. And so I've been essentially putting out fires the whole time. I had to make sure the, the um, state fair went off without a hitch last year because it went off badly the year before. Okay. And, then, and then, and then I got caught up in the, the uh, public access TV show, which I was yeah. just, I just joined to push buttons in the control room and I have yet to push buttons in the control room. I'm happy you're in front because popularity <laughs> matters, right? Part of being a, uh, part of being a politician is being popular, right? That's part of the job of being a politician is being popular. Running for office is a popularity contest, right? Yeah. So you, you've got to also be popular. Being a volunteer, not required. Nice if no. you are, not required. Being a donor, Nice if you are, not required. Being an activist, not required. Being a politician, yep, required. Absolutely, 100%. Well, so. And apparently, I people tell me I have a talent for talking, So, and people like to hear me talk, so I come in. That's what I do now. I <laughs> love it. I, I would absolutely agree. So let me ask you, James, before we wrap this up, anything specific you want to talk about before you wrap this up? Um, nothing off the top of my head. I think we've covered just about everything. We've covered that I need some social media help. So anybody out there who needs some social media help, I could really use that. Um, just for assembly.com heading over there, give money. If you've got, it. if you don't give some time, if you live in a Sacramento area or you live in California, the state, I, I don't know why you wouldn't be giving this man at least an hour a week. Give him something, give him whatever you can give him. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think we've covered all, we've covered all our big issues. And so I think we've got everything. Excellent. James, I want to say thank you so much for coming on today. It was great everyone for watching. Thank you. Another amazing uh, Libertarians drinking coffee live. Have a good one, guys. I will see you all very soon. Thank you, Larry.